Before I begin, I'd like to say a very special thank you to Reverend Jeff Reeves. I knew all along he was an amazing guy. We've got to know each other over the time he's been here, and I've been amazed at his talents and abilities. But thank you so much for preaching last Sunday. You touched a lot of lives. I listened to it, and God's given you some many, many, many gifts, and you've been through some struggles lately. But you know what? God's blessed you, and you blessed us through that. I was concerned last Sunday because Jerry Gunnels was out of town, and he told me he couldn't preach. He wanted to, and if Jeff did, my next choice was Glenn Sexton. So I'm just, I'm just, no, Glenn does a lot for us in the office. I want to ask you to do that, Glenn. But thank you so much, and we are blessed by your ministry here in so many ways. You know, as we go through this life, we understand that we're in a battle. When you're born again, the first thing you realize is you're facing forces that are much stronger than you are individually. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit of God is placed within you when you become a Christian to guide you, but also to warn you. And as we go into some dark days in the history of our world, we understand what's going on. We know that we're facing a real opponent because the world bears the bloody, horrible, broken evidence of what's going on. There was a time when you could actually say and almost mean that America is a Christian nation, but the reality is it never really was a Christian nation. It was a nation of Christians. But the truth is today, we are very quickly becoming the minority. And we're a minority that's hated by some people. Not just disliked, hated. Because you see, evil never takes pleasure in righteousness. Because righteousness exposes what evil is all about. And we've got to understand that what we are doing here as Christians is so important. Remember this, and don't ever forget it. Your reputation, your reputation is what people say you are. But your character is what God knows you to be. Don't worry about reputation. Reputation is insignificant. But the character that you expose the world to, that is within you through the Spirit of God, as you grow closer to your Savior, that is what will change the world that we live in. And God calls us to be aware of that and be prepared for it. True spiritual warfare is three things according to the Apostle Paul. It's number one, walking in meekness. Number two is to be at war in your ministry. And what I mean by that is as you're ministering to those who are hurting and who are broken, you are at war to defend yourself because the evil one will want to bring into your life discouragement and the possibility of defeat. But I remind you that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Satan wants to do that to us. He is our adversary. He has no respect for us whatsoever. And I don't care what evil people say to you. They're watching you and they're judging Christ by what you do. Always be circumspect in your walk. Always be faithful in what you do. Let them know what truth is very plainly. No Christian ever failed when they spoke plainly to another person. Because that's what the world needs. We don't talk in riddles. We're not trying to paint pictures that, that are unrealistic. We want to show the world that Christ in you is the hope of glory. A prevailing person is one who has strength 
in their struggle to stand with Jesus. And there will always be a struggle. There will always be Fridays when you're exhausted. Sometimes it's the Monday that you're exhausted in. But the reality is God will get you through that time. He will keep you faithful. He will bless you. And even when you feel that you've been a failure, God will bring a blessing to someone through you and all that you do. Every one of you has an assignment. The assignment is one that is for you and one that is against you. The assignment for you is from God. The one that is against you is from the devil. And he, believe me, is awake before you are in the morning planning out how he can attack you. So be prepared. Right thinking produces right acting. I've always believed that. And spiritual warfare is more about getting closer to God than getting away from the devil. Remember that. Because the closer you are to God the less you have to do battle with the devil. Always remember this. Jesus, after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, it says he was hungry. And I like that statement because, number one, it shows his humanity in the midst of his deity. He was hungry. And Satan attempted to take his hunger and use it to his advantage. And he couldn't. Jesus quoted three obscure verses out of the Old Testament and defeated Satan. When you do battle with him, don't do battle with words of hatred and frustration. You will always lose. Do battle with the Word of God. Understand the power that is in that Word. Not just the power in memorizing it, but the power in consuming it within you and letting it change who you are. I want to think this morning for a few minutes about this passage because we, we've all studied it, we've heard it before, we've had it in Sunday school. We know about the armor of God and what it was depicting because the people of that day understood what it was when a soldier put on his armor. But I want to think beyond that and around that. I want to think what it is saying to us as Christians that we must become. The first thing I did was ask this question. Whatever happened to truth in our world? Why is it we live in a world where truth doesn't seem to matter anymore? Is this this? Uh, I like so much what Gina said this morning, and that story is a wonderful one about the little boy. But the reality is, a lie is a lie. And the habit you get into when you begin to lie is that you, number one, demonstrate that you have no confidence in God and you have too much confidence in yourself. And your focus is not on God, but it's on others. Sometimes in life we need to understand that the truth may be obscure or even painful, but it's the truth and it matters. It is said that truth is buckled around our waist, and I like that because truth is something that holds us together. It demonstrates our relationship with Christ. We should hear the truth, we should trust the truth, we should live the truth, we should speak the truth, and we should teach the truth. Even when it's painful, even when it's frustrating. To give us strength in our struggle to stand... Jesus tells us to put on a second piece of armor, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now let me tell you what that is. The heart's the, the one situation you don't want to compromise in your life. You don't want to compromise it if you're in a fight with somebody because if you lose your heart, you lose your life. But also the heart is, the, is, is deemed the center of emotions. And you don't want to compromise that when you're standing for truth. You don't want to cut corners. You don't want to just say, you know, it, it, it's easier just to say that than to stand for what is right. Don't ever say that. Always understand that whatever the outcome, God will care for you. But be protected from the enemy, from the evil one that will come after you. Second question I ask is, is this. Since God has made us right, and that's what righteousness is, the breastplate of righteousness, why does this world seem to hate us so? It seems like if you saw someone that was living a standard that was right, that was obeying the laws, that was doing everything they could, and being kind and loving to your neighbor, shouldn't people love us for that? No. You see, in a world full of darkness and full of evil, those who stand righteous in front of the world indicts the world. We say that they're wrong by our life without saying a word from our mouths. We demonstrate what true holiness is, and it leaves them in a very awkward, dark, and lonely place. You see, evil doesn't just look at us and sneer. Evil attacks us quickly, readily, and easily. We're always attacked at our most vulnerable points. And, and remember this. I didn't say your weakness because, you see, sometimes your most vulnerable point is what you call a strength. You may admire the character you have in a certain area. You may have read about a certain trait or character trait within your life, and you admired that, and you wanted that to be your strength. But the reality is Satan knows more about you than you do. You see, we've got this thing called pride, and it leads us away from truth sometimes. We need to have an honest estimation of who we are, and that, that's tough to do. The reality is the only way you ever see that is allowing yourself to be literally examined by the Word of God. Satan turns everything upside down, everything. He loves to make black, white, good, evil, and right, wrong. He, he always does. He wants to confuse us, and we've got to know what truth is no matter what. You cannot come into the church and say you live for Christ and then turn around and go out in the world and say, well, I'll kind of cut the corners because that's what I do for a living. No. Your Christianity goes with you out there. The dark world that we live in says the Bible can't be the word of God because, number one, there isn't a God. And secondly, they say, well, there are things in the Bible that just contradict themselves. There are things in there that couldn't have been true that absolutely, you know, can't be proven. But the reality is this, dear friend. We are not given the responsibility of examining the Bible. The Bible is to examine us. When we read God's Word, and I warn you about this, some people teach, oh, what you need to do is this. You need to just simply read it for encouragement and read it for direction and read it just to make you feel better, to inspire you. All those things are good, but also sometimes Scripture judges you. 
Don't run away from that. It has a way of examining our hearts and clarifying truth within us, exposing our character flaws that we need to change and making us more like Christ. Now the world looks at us and they know that Jesus has made us right, but they hate Jesus. It's not that they look at him and, and, and they, they, they simply don't like what he's doing. They believe that he is their enemy in every sort of way. You don't believe me? Open your phone up and if you have Netflix, just open up Netflix and look at any 20 shows that are on Netflix. And I guarantee you, beyond anything else, 16 of the 20 will be based on Satanism, dark evil, forces that are, that are diabolical, or something that is almost horrific in its standing. Satan is feeding our children and our families a diet of Satanism, of evil. It's amazing, and I, I've been asked this before, why is it when a Christian movie comes out, and every once in a while a really good one comes out, why is it when they come out that they just overflow with people wanting to see them? They make just ridiculous amounts of money. Why doesn't Hollywood follow after that and produce more? Well, first of all, they don't know or respect the God that saved us. But secondly, they have an agenda, a diabolical agenda of destroying this world. You know, they don't like righteousness. They don't enjoy it. You know, Scripture says, children, obey your parents, for this is good. This, honor your father and mother. All these things sound like they're so trivial until you see someone that goes through a life where they don't respect their parents and their family. I'll tell you this, a child that does not respect their parents will not respect their teacher, will not respect their employer, and probably down the road won't respect their jailer, which is where they'll end up. All of us, at some point in our life, have to be under an authority. And I don't care if, if, if you own your own business or you're the President of the United States, you answer to somebody. And if you're not willing to be faithful in what you do, you will be judged, not only in this world, but in the next. But think about this for a minute. How do I change my life in the midst of a world that's going the other direction? How do I stay focused on the light in the life of Christ when the world is getting darker? Here's what's great. If you will reach out and pray and ask God to give you those individuals that he's to give to you, you'll be amazed at what you find that he blesses you with. I remember years ago when a couple of uh, religious leaders in America, and I use that term loosely because I don't know how you define a religious leader, uh, decided they'd create an organization that was a political movement called the Moral Majority. The moment I heard about that, I was a little bit disturbed, first of all, because Jesus himself avoided confrontation with the world. He knew they were judged. He knew they were evil. He knew where they were going. He didn't come to change the world. He came to call out a people for his name. 
But unfortunately, the disciples got confused. They thought Jesus came to overthrow their immediate problem, which was the Roman Empire. And their sights were set on that, and their hearts were focused on that. And when, when Jesus did not do that, when he succumbed to just a few people around him, and he was ready to die, they saw him as a failure. When you stop and look at, at what Jesus accomplished, it's easy to say that in human terms. Jesus spent three years of his life pouring himself into 12 people, and not only did they all walk away with the exception of one, John, but one of them literally sold him to be killed. Looking at that, in many ways you'd say Jesus was a failure. But remember this, Jesus didn't come to start a movement. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and die for them. And he did. And he fulfilled his destiny. He demonstrated what he was really about in an amazing way. So I, I want to ask you this lastly. If, if we're sinful creatures saved by grace, how do we make a difference? Are we going to look like a failure? No, here's, here's what we do. We don't go out and start a political movement. We don't go out and try to start a super PAC that will try to influence public policy. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but that's not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to go out and to disciple people. The last thing he said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, when he, he was leaving this world, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. All power. The power of God Almighty, the power of everything in this world was in his hand. And he said, on the basis of that power and my ability to equip you, go and make disciples. Now you look at that and you say, that's, that's kind of a simple request. Isn't that what missionaries and ministers do? No, that wasn't given. That, that statement wasn't given to missionaries and ministers. It was given to Christians, all Christians. Make disciples. And therein is the problem with the church, I believe, far and wide. We believe that that statement was given to the professional people, as some people call it. Don't you just go crazy, Jeff, when somebody call you, calls you a professional minister? No, we're not professional. We're followers of Christ. And we fail many times. But God called you to make disciples. Now, I want you to do this. Think in your heart right now how many people you, you've led to Christ. Count them up. And then beyond bringing them to faith in Christ, what have you done in their life to mature them or disciple them in the right direction? That is what Jesus commanded for us to do. I think church attendance is important. I believe in it. I don't think anybody should tell us not to come to church. And Roy, thank you so much for that because there were some dark days when I was ridiculed and criticized from people in the clergy for wanting to keep this church open. But our country was founded for one very important thing, freedom to worship. Because Europe had been inundated with people that wanted to persecute religious groups and when we came here, 
that was such an important issue. As I listened to all the things going on during the pandemic, the one thing that I never heard, I never heard our governor, our senators, or even, for that matter, our president say that churches could not meet. Irony of ironies, one church did get attacked out in California. The governor told them they couldn't meet. And if you listen last week, you know that the U.S. Supreme Court gave a judgment against that governor in the millions of dollars by that church. You cannot infringe that right. You cannot. And I believe with all my heart that as long as we can worship and as long as we can impact this world, we're doing what we're supposed to do. As the world gets darker, Christ becomes more bright within us. How do we make a difference? We make a difference by letting God shine through us. Letting Him touch lives. Let, letting Him change them. You don't have to walk up to a stranger and give them a soliloquy about what theology is. You don't have to explain to them the, the 12 steps of justification and how you reach an Old Testament transitory concept of forgiveness. No. You tell them what you've seen, heard, and felt of Jesus in your life. Now, this will do two things. Number one, it'll make you concentrate on and really see how Christ has impacted you. And secondly, it'll cause you to grow even more so than you've ever grown before. And that's all you need to do. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, he didn't say, go out there and become a preacher. Don't, he didn't say, go out there and knock on doors. He didn't say, go out there and harass people. No. There's a phrase, and I love the way it was interpreted in the English. It says, as you are As you are going. We call that lifestyle evangelism. That means that when Tory's out there working on water systems all over the counties, he can share Jesus with people. And that matters. That, that means Ray Harrelson, wherever he is working with his business, is a discipler for Christ. That means that Roy Moore can share Jesus when he's working in the fields and looking over his crops. That's what we are called to do. Not to be silent, but to be vocal in every way. We're to live out that life. And we're to shine that light. You know, I read the other day, I love my dog. I've got a, a, a little Pomeranian. Three and a half pounds, two pounds of fur, and a pound and a half of dog. But she loves me. She loves me in a very precious way. I can ignore her all day long, and she's watching me, just wanting me to call her and to pick her up and to love her. I read the other day that dogs are our link to paradise or heaven. They don't know evil or jealousy or discontent. If we're there, they're happy. To sit with a dog on a hillside on a glorious afternoon is like being in the Garden of Eden because you have a perfect relationship there. And sometimes I think our animals teach us something that we humans don't teach. That we're to adore God. We're to take pleasure in being with Him. We're to be faithful to Him in everything we do. We're to never forget what He's done for us. I wish Maria Stevens were here today. I love that dear lady. 
She's always working in the restaurant or she's at home planning for what she's going to do there, but she would love this story. In the Greek Orthodox tradition, the day after Easter among Greek Orthodox folks is a time to tell jokes. I'm not making that up. I love to tell jokes, but it's a time to tell jokes. You know why? Because they realized in the first century that the greatest trick that's ever been played in the world is when Jesus went into the grave and Satan laughed. Because three days later, every power he had was quashed and destroyed. It was not just the perfect death that Jesus died, but it's the fact that he lived again that, that made the difference in our lives. And they said that's a time to celebrate because they said Satan truly was defeated. He thought he'd won. He thought it was over with. The disciples thought it was over with. Oh, dear friend, it was only beginning. So when you prepare to go out into this world and to do battle, and, and be aware, if you live for Christ, you're going to do battle. Be equipped and prepared. But go with a sense of destiny because several things are going on that we, we sometimes forget. Number one, we're not called to go out there and win anything. We're called to do one thing, plant seeds. We're not responsible for the crop yield. We're not responsible for the cultivation of that. We're not responsible for any of that. We just plant seeds. That's what we're called to do. But secondly, we can never fail. Because you see, when Jesus died and rose again, we, we've already won. We're already victorious. We don't have to serve him in order to get into heaven. Heaven's free. It's given to us when we yield to Christ. And what we do for him is out of love and devotion. Make sure you're called to that love and devotion. And make sure that Christ has changed your heart as you touch the heart of others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give to us in your holy word truth that transforms us. But we must be faithful in that transformation.